<laughs> Hello and welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, this is Aspen Wait Live. Delighted that you could uh, join us, even f- either for our live broadcast uh, or our podcast. If you're listening uh, on Eva, welcome to you. Um, loads of content for you over the next uh, 30 to 40 minutes. And I'm delighted to say that providing that content uh, will be uh, Mr. Paul Wait. Very uh, good afternoon to you, Paul. Good afternoon, Mr. Chocolate Voice Man and Mr. Loose Connection from from Abingdon. Uh, John O'Harris looking very smart in his cap and his shirt and glasses there. He looks like he should be he should be farming in Zimbabwe. Yeah. I feel like I'm farming in Zimbabwe in this weather. This is the weather we used to have uh, every day, day in and day out. Very nice day today. And one of the things that whenever I speak to anybody and, you know, we're, we're Brit, being Brits, we just talk about the weather all the time. That's what we do. But people always mention things like it's going to be 24 degrees today. It's going to be 24. That You get that a lot. So I know it's going to be 24 because everyone I spoke to for the last 24 hours has told me, including my mum. Hi, mum. So um, let's move on with. Hello, the... Ben's mum. He, he loves you a lot, mum. She won't be He's watching. He's ever so good. <laughs> she won't <Yeah>. be watching. <laughs> His, his girlfriend sleeps in another room to him, honestly. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start today's show. I uh, just what I want to talk about a little bit about some of the um, comments over the last 24 hours. I know a few of the shows this week, we've talked about different things, but whenever there is a development or, or is a uh, comment worth us commenting on, we, we'll talk about it. Yesterday, uh, two things. First of all, a lot of criticism for the government overnight and today about the business loan scheme and how countries, uh, other countries are providing much more business support for businesses. Uh, and we've come in for a bit of criticism. And I, and I saw that the, the business secretary this morning was saying that there's going to be more made available. Is, is it coming too late, Paul? Yes. <laughs> well as always you know so, so yes yes and um i think probably um just being sensible about it um it was interesting as i said to you before we we before we, we went um live today that um you know obviously i read a lot of financial press and um and i think the general comment to the business community is that uh, which, which I think very much reflects the, the point I'm always making about government doesn't understand business. I'm always saying that, aren't I? Government doesn't understand business. And I think, I think the, uh, the the fact is, is that uh, we've got three million limited companies in the UK, and the, va- the vast majority of those are uh, what you would call micro. Sounds like there's a hurricane going on. Yeah, jo- Jono, we might have to ask you to move because it's uh, yeah, it's the noise that's coming through. I think I'm, I'm, I'm digressing here, but I think what it is is if you're outside without a microphone like Paul, um, it, it, the noise on the computer microphone or the phone microphone picks up uh, greatly. There we go; it's, it's disappeared now. Sorry, Jono, you, you're sitting outside in the sunshine. Look at what we've done. We've made him move inside on this glorious day. <laughs> Can't believe it. I know. <laughs> anyway. Um, technology. Three million um, limited companies, of which uh, the vast majority, probably eighty uh, percent, would be micro businesses. You know, so certainly less than ten employees. And it's like they were saying, you know, the government has apparently had no regard to, like, you know, how 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 these people tend to pay themselves, for instance. You know. Um, the fact that uh, so if you look at I don't know the, the statistics, but um, you know one of the things that's been a great success story in the last few years is is we've had a lot of startups. You know, an awful lot of people have become self-employed uh, or set up uh, little companies, and of course, you know, one of the things that goes with uh, an immature business is higher risk. I think it's I don't, again I don't know the, the statistics on this, but. An awful lot of businesses in their early years will not make a profit. Yeah, they be quite common uh, to sort of struggle through the first year. And a common and a common model would be somebody on zero or low remuneration uh, who's probably borrowed to the hilt or got their parents, uh, family, friends to, to to invest in them. And of course, all these businesses that I've referred to. Um, 
don't qualify for a diddly squat of anything the government's done. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, if you look at the, the the business interruption loan scheme criteria, it's exceedingly onerous, exceedingly onerous. Um, you know, you've you've got to you've got to present a really high level business case uh, with super good projections, a super good business plan, um, and of course, any of the businesses I referred to just now just don't qualify because they don't have what the banks would consider to be a viable business. So. I think it's a case of, um, unfortunately, the government's inability to understand business is is going to cause considerable real damage because, as you say, it's too late. And I think that the, the schemes that are in place are unnecessarily and too complicated. Yeah, and it, uh, just one of the stats I was reading now is that only half of the applications have, have, have been approved, and that's the ones that have been processed. So um, there, there's a there's obviously a big backlog here coming in for all sorts of criticism from different angles about, like you said, Paul, how easy it is to uh, wade through all the uh, the stuff that's needed to get these loans. Um, and then have, of the 36,000 that have been uh, looked at, only 16,000 have been approved, which again uh, seems like a, st- a staggering stat in terms of, um, you know, the businesses that need support and have actually gone through that whole process. If you look at thirty-six thousand as a percentage of the numbers I mentioned, it's uh, it's nothing, is it? I think the other thing um, I'd like to uh, to say before Jono comments is, um, of course, the the other thing is is the inconsistency of the rates grant um, in terms of that. So, I I know I know people, uh, clients of mine that have already received the money. In fact, have probably had the ten grand or the twenty-five grand. Uh, very, very quickly. I had a massive success story this week. I don't want to mention the person, although it's quite relevant to who I'm interviewing tomorrow. <laughs> uh, and I never thought this would happen. We, um, I dictated a letter to them earlier in the week and basically asked the council uh, to agree to a uh, rates holiday. And they gave, they gave them a 100% discount. Couldn't believe it. Um, and then we we've made uh, I think it's four uh, four uh, applications for grants for ourselves, and I would say at best uh, the councils we're dealing with so that would be Sedgemore, uh, West Somerset I think, um, Kent and um, can't think of the other, what the other one is now Wales. So anyway, um, I would say the the local the local council have been extremely unhelpful and uh just this morning we actually got an acknowledgement that we had actually asked for the grant uh we've given you know basically an excuse email basically saying how busy they were so if you sort of think that through the government actually has given the councils billions of pounds of money to give to people like us and then we could all we could have gone bust by now and then the central council turn around and say, "Oh, hang on a minute, uh, you know, in June, oh, here's your ten grand. Oh, thanks a lot, you know." Jono, is this is this um, uh, bring bring you into to this now? We we talked a little bit about this on Tuesday about the the structure of perhaps um, how businesses are even big businesses that should be doing a lot better with their online um, pr- providing sales online that aren't, and we're not really ready for this situation. Does this show? Is this down to the councils being just really poor or is it from government downwards that, that it's just poorly organised and, and actually they didn't stand a chance to get this money uh, out to the right because they don't have the right staff, they don't have the right structures? Well, it's a bit of everything, I would say. Um, basically, there's, there hasn't been very much thought or planning into how it's going to actually be delivered. And it's exactly what Paul was saying. It's too complicated um and it and and it varies between councils we've also had uh some of our local uh businesses in the local area with the Vale of white horse over in um in south oxfordshire um being paid out really quickly and there's other clients who put in their applications with different councils um you know before the ones that have paid out and they haven't even been they haven't even received uh, emails to say we've accepted your your application or anything so it's uh, 
it's it's quite varied. Um, yeah. Would say it's it, it's varied because nobody has really given much planning into how they're going to deliver these these grants, these payouts, etc. Well, that, that, I mean, that was my yeah. My point was that if you, if you, if we had somebody on now that was sitting in one of these councils that you've um, mentioned, I'm not I'm not saying this is the case, but they they probably sit there and say, well, actually. What do you want us to do? We, we've been the government has have said that this is what's going to happen. They've given no thought into the staff we've got understanding the system or how that will practically happen. And, and once again, it seems to go back to the criticism of the government. And we're not just here to, to slate that. Well, it shouldn't it shouldn't actually be that difficult because um, they've got all the systems in place for um, all the companies within their regions uh, to pay their council tax, etc. So they've got all the bank accounts. They know exactly who pays rates and who doesn't. Yeah. They should do it automatically, really. It should be an automated. It shouldn't even really need to be done manually. That's a good point. I agree with that. Yeah, it's a very good point. It, 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 so, I mean, it goes back to a, a, a very a very interesting point that Chris Davis made uh, when lockdown started. And he, he came up with a rather interesting idea that the business interruption loan scheme should have been managed by HMRC. Uh, and not the banks. It is his logic for that, which I think is looking increasingly wise and relevant, actually, in the context of all the things you've been saying, Ben, mm. is that HMRC have everyone's bank account. Yeah. You know, they've got all the details. Um, you know, if you think about uh, if you really wanted to save people and you really wanted to make sure that money got to where it was intended very quickly... Uh, you could. It wouldn't be that difficult to turn around to a reasonably good computer programmer and say, design me a program whereby as long as a bona fide limited company, which we recognize, submits a bona fide rates reference, upon that email being received, that that company will automatically receive 10 grand. Yeah, that's a very good point. A very good point. And then, and then you would, you know, you wouldn't have to involve any any staff. There wouldn't be anybody sitting in Bridgewater, you know, with because I suspect that you know what what they'd actually say, you know, going back to the notional question about what you know, I think they'd say um, we're, we're inundated with applications. You know, what do you think? We've only got twenty three admin staff, and we've got thirty one thousand applications for the grant or something. You know, that's what they'd say, wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah. But there's no need for that. There's no need for that because, um, you know, a, it, it, it comes back to a point I made on a previous podcast where I was saying, for instance, that, um, you know, if, 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 if the Inland Revenue's experience is that 10% uh, of already tax credit claims, for instance, are, bona, are, not, are not bona fide, then the obvious thing to do in a difficult time like this would just be pay out 90% of the claim. Yeah, I agree. No one, no, no one, no one would mind too much about that. If you, you know, if you, if you were given your ninety percent very quickly, and you were told that um, the reason you're not getting a hundred is so that everyone gets the ninety, I think I, I, I certainly would live with that. Yeah, and 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 another way also is to pay out a hundred percent of the claims. And then, if it's discovered at a later date that some people were uh, not not uh, didn't qualify or they were being fraudulent or whatever um all of these councils or hmrc or whoever it is have the ability to then claw back that money because they've got access to everybody's bank accounts anyway well not if the person went bust in the meantime no that's true yeah one of the other things that um was said uh, this morning was that, that they were they were going to look at not only offering um, more support because we are falling behind uh, other countries in terms of getting more loans uh, out there, but also to, uh, these temporary temporary measures that have been uh, mentioned um, to ease commercial rent demand, um, so that that could be coming next week. And, uh, and reports of uh, people putting undue financial pressure uh, on on those commercial uh, businesses that that need to pay um, rent. So. Again, you read in between the lines and say, well, well, more support and more help will be coming for businesses that are struggling right now. But I would go back to my original question, which you answered yes, Paul, which was it was it's it's seemingly going to be too late for a lot of people. 
Yeah, although, you know, I think, um, as I as I said on the Tuesday show, I think I quoted some statistics and I said uh, there'd been a survey of um, over a thousand businesses and uh, what was it, Sixty only 16% thought they could survive to December if there was a lockdown until then. Mm. Uh, but 91% thought they could survive another month. So, um, my, my I don't know what Jono's experience is. My experience is across my client base is... I would say that people are in surprisingly good shape, actually. That would be my overall comment. Yeah, we've, we've only had about, I think, a, a total of four or five clients um, who have said, who've literally said we can't, we can no longer pay um, our fees and we've closed down um for the period of the lock-in because they you know some of them own nightclubs others own pubs so of course they they have to close down yeah moves they, they are generally in good shape yeah it moves us nicely on to just one of the next points i wanted to mention i know on a show on a thursday please get your comments in by the way uh, if you're listening on the podcast i always mention that you can get in touch podcast at aspen-weight.co.uk and if you're viewing on the live stream you can get your comments in right now for us one of the things we like to talk about on a Thursday is um, I want to say that we're quite philosophical. We look at the, uh, um, y- you know, the, the sort of bigger picture of this. And it was Chris Whitty's comments yesterday. I mentioned before the show, Paul said that maybe, you know, he, he is obviously uh, on the medical side. So sometimes he might say things that um, wouldn't actually be true to what the government will be doing in terms of looking at the economic uh, side of things. But his comments yesterday were, were pretty um, damning in, 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 a, in terms of saying, look, we're, we're not going to get out of this completely until there's a vaccine. And um, a, a lot of uh, people have picked up on that today and saying, well, we're going to be in some form of lockdown and, and, until Christmas. And the government just don't want to tell us that. Um, but, Paul, you were quite positive early and you said that that's that actually that might be true. But there's going to be things that will be put in place to ensure that we can go out to eat and we can do things. Well, I think I think what I said was there are things that could be done to allow that yes. to happen, That's, which is slightly a slightly different point. As you know, I'm um, I'm not a uh, a huge fan of the uh, government's position on the lockdown anyway. So I I would be much more in the Swedish government's camp. Um, and um, as I as I said to you off air, there was I watched a, a brilliant interview with one of the chief scientific advisors to the Swedish government. Uh, last night, which was the best interview I've seen uh, by it from anybody over this. And um, it was quite interesting because he was saying that right up until the last minute, Boris Johnson's view and the Swedish view was exactly the same. You know, we, we weren't going to go into lockdown. You know, we he was actually saying, you know, we had taken the best advice and, you know, we weren't going to do that. And then uh, the Imperial College report came out, which basically said that everyone and his wife was going to die in three seconds' time, and um, and there was just like a huge U-turn, and we and and he went from yeah, you know, uh, a liberated democratic model to police state model almost within one day, and you know, and the and the and the guy I can't remember his name now, um, Professor Gieselberg or something. Uh, and he was saying, you know, you guys have really made a serious mistake, but obviously now you've made it, it's really hard to reverse it. Mm. But of course, the Swedes, the Swedes basically turned around to their population and said, look, these are all the facts, but you want to go and have a beer, you go and have a beer, right? But what we won't let you do is stand up while you're having a beer. So that's a, that's a fact. You know, they're not allowed to stand up uh, in, in bar areas. They've got, if they want to have a beer, they've got to sit down, you know, so they're, they're not being stupid about it, you know. They, as long as they're they're either with their families or they're sitting five uh, feet apart from from a stranger, then you know they're pretty much allowed to do whatever they want to do. You know, and the government has their government has basically trusted the Swedish people to do that. You know, and if you look at um, you look at their stats, I think their population is roughly one sixth of ours, and they're running. A, they're running about half of the uh, uh, coronavirus cases per per person. John, I'll let you come in on that. Yeah, I was I was actually, funnily enough, I was looking at the um, at the graphs last night, 
Um, and there was one graph I was looking at, which is uh, I was looking at all these different stats, and my daughter looked at it and she said, you're looking at all the wrong things there. You need to look at um, deaths per million. And um, so that's what I, I looked at on the graph. Uh, you can look it up under worldometers, I think it is. And, um, and yeah, Swed Swed the Swedish deaths per million are about 50, 50 deaths per million less than the UK deaths per million, if I remember rightly. Um, yeah, it's about half. It's about half, I think. Yeah, well, no, no, it wasn't. It was about three quarters, I think. But um, uh, yeah, so it'll be very interesting to see as it goes on whether they catch up or whether they never reach us or who knows what. But um, yeah, it, I, I also found it very, very weird that one minute we were saying uh, the chiefs, you know, we, we, the government was saying we're basing our policy on leading science and our policy is saying everybody must just, you know, keep two meters away, but we, we're not going to restrict anyone. And I didn't realize it was that Imperial College report that came out that uh, that made them, because one day it was this policy, and then I remember the next day they said, right, we're going into lockdown. And I was like, oh, that's completely different. So, yeah, um, we'll see, won't we? It's a, uh, it, no matter what our opinions are, we're stuck with, with having to um, listen to what these guys are telling us now. What's um what was very interesting again, it's always it's always um I always like it when you listen to intelligent people who actually have the real facts. And one of the things this Swedish guy was saying on this uh, thing I was watching yesterday was that um, he was obviously making the fact about the Imperial College report, um, uh, you know, and how Boris did a complete vault fast, you know, in 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 the light of this sensationalist reporting. But then the guy was going on to say that the public, the paper wasn't even published. So it wasn't actually properly published, uh, wasn't, uh, it didn't go through the proper scientific process where other scientists could say, hang on a minute, you know, your assumptions are flawed. So, you know, in, in effect, you know, when, when, when they, when uh, the government sits there every day and says, you know, We've all got to sit there and and and, and drink uh, our our cups of tea with no sugar in, because that's what that's what the best advice tells us. Um, that that is that is actually totally not true. Uh, the fact is is that the key the key piece of uh, of of the key piece of science in which they based their main strategy on uh, was sensationalist and non democratic and failed to meet acceptable scientific standards. Fact. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to... Uh, we, we, we did talk about this on Monday. I don't want to go over old ground as far as how bad the, the media are. But when you, when you start to look at some of the U-turns that you mentioned, Paul, that the government seemingly make, um, I could, we can talk about care homes, we can talk about business loans, we can talk about PPE, all these kind of things. They're, they're hounded by the media constantly. And the media will say on, on our behalf, asking the real questions. But I go back to something that happened last week in America. And Donald Trump played a video in front of the media. And he ba basically, in the shortest of terms, said, you criticised and you hounded me to not react and do something to shut down America to stop this virus. And now that I've done it, you're now saying that there's lockdown, it's a disgrace, and how are you going to get out of lockdown and everything else? To, to some extent, the government all governments, but certainly ours, just re react to being hounded by the media, being forced into decisions. And actually, you go, go back to your original point, if, if, we, if we wouldn't have been hounded by the media and the bad press to lockdown and getting in everybody's mind that we needed to lock down, the government needed to do more, maybe they would have stuck to their original thoughts, which were, we don't need to react uh, to this totally. We, we, the government got hounded by the press because the government said that herd immunity would would be fine for us and that was a route that we were going down and and it was i th i believe that some of the decision to act quickly on that was down to to the media just want to get your your thoughts on it if, if any of you got any thoughts on on that well i mean the the, the overall comment on that is not not something that takes a lot of time um, if that is true then uh, the answer is weak leadership isn't it 
Yeah. But you wouldn't. Yeah. Sorry, without being, without being arrogant, I I wouldn't do that, would I? No. But I, I guess being in a position where, you know, the British press, it goes very quickly, doesn't it? It goes down a, a certain route very quickly. I think the point I'm trying to make, and I probably wasn't very clear on that, is just that, you know, we, we've talked about the why the government seemingly changed direction all the time and constantly being criticised. You know, if, if they're criticised for PPE, they come out and show evidence of this is happening or perhaps change direction. Um is, is that down to just weak leadership or is it down to um, the, the way we're set up? And, you know, it's happened in America. It's just Donald Trump's able to come out and be the person that he is and say, actually, I'm going to call you out on this, that you're, you're, you're having a go at me from all different directions, as I don't see our government doing that. Shall I? Uh, well, I, 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 the question is, who's advising the government? Is, are they taking their advice from the chief scientific officer, which is what they were doing, that's what they were telling us when uh, we were following the Swedish policy of not imposing a lockdown. And then they were telling us they were following the leading scientific advice when they imposed the lockdown. So <laughs> who did they suddenly swap uh, to? Was the media involved? I've, I've got no idea. But just going back to um, those statistics that I was looking at, um, Sweden is on 192 deaths per million. The UK is on 267. So Sweden's running at about 70% of deaths per million than what the UK is running. Um, I've, I've seen on that same list, Belgium is at 560 per million. So they, they seem to be one of the worst hit. I'm not sure what their policy is on um, in terms of social distancing and lockdown and stuff like that. Similar, similar to us. It's similar to us, so it's not working there quite clearly. Um, so it's, it's, it is very interesting. And then, then it leads on to the next question about um, when, you, when they do have a vaccine for this coronavirus, is it then going to be compulsory for every single member of the public to be vaccinated against it? Are we not going to be allowed into certain areas uh, unless we can prove that we've had the vaccine. Maybe they'll give us some sort of a stamp or something uh, to say that, that we've been vaccinated so we're no longer um, carriers or whatever, spreaders of this disease. You know, because that's the next step, isn't it? It's, well, it's, uh, we live in a democracy. This? Are they going to force us to all be vaccinated once they've got this vaccine? Otherwise, we have to stay in in our own houses until we're vaccinated. No, I don't. I think I think that's um, that's going uh, going too far to say that. I think um, so. My, my 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 instinctive reaction to 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 you, as you put it, Jono, would be: firstly, why wouldn't you want to be vaccinated? I mean, you'd think if 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 you were offered a vaccine, you'd go, yeah, please, yippee, skip, wouldn't you? Um, well, I'm, I'm not sure if I would want a vaccine that's been developed in a couple of months when it normally takes about sort of five to ten years to develop a vaccine and, and test all the side and all the, the adverse reactions that can come about. You know, that they go through these processes over years and years and years of testing, don't they, usually? But this one, this vaccine, when it comes out, is going to be – I'm sure I saw on the news last night, actually, that they've already started – Testing a type of vaccine on some some human human guinea pigs. Well, as as I as I as Ben and I talked about, I think a couple of weeks ago, um, there, there is actually already a potential solution which we are not using, which is being used in Israel, for instance. I can't remember the name of the drug. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's there's conclusive evidence which suggests that countries with serious malaria issues. That those people uh, are are massively less likely to catch coronavirus, so I think actually, uh, but I think your point is, is a slightly different one. So I think, again, how you put it, I would support you. As a Democrat, if if a citizen of the UK said, "I'm I feel unsafe taking this vaccination because I don't think it's been adequately and properly tested," and I choose. My, my democratic right is I choose not to take that vaccine, then I would support that. I was rather making a rather naive assumption 
that the government wouldn't roll out millions of vaccinations unless they thought it was safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And when we just we just don't know. I'm, I'm sure we sh- we should be positive and, and assume that actually that um yeah, that, that that would be the case. Um, in, interesting debate as always, and, and what I would say is we're not here to. This, this is about having a, a real debate, and we're not taking sides either for the government, against the government, or or do, doing anything like that. Even with the media, we're just saying it as we see it. We're calling it as it is, and having a, a real discussion, which is what we're all about. Please get your comments in across uh, the social media channels, and if you are listening on the podcast, um, I hope you're well, and please do contribute to the show. You can get in contact across social media or podcast at aspen-weight.co.uk and we'll read some of your thoughts out because this is a real debate, a real discussion and we'll continue to have that every day at 12.30. Right, I want to talk a little bit now um, about tomorrow's show, Paul, um, because it's a special one and we have a very special guest and I'm going to let you do the honour of uh, (laughs) announcing and uh, letting everybody know what they can expect tomorrow and who's coming on. Yes, yeah, so from my point of view, um, it's it's going to be sort of original kiddie in a sweetie shop day. Um, it's So I think it's quite commonly known that uh, I'm a bit of a sports nut. And uh, because of my father, uh, who, who, who loves horses for a different reason to me, i.e. he likes to bet on them, uh, I... I, I I actually uh, have vivid memories of watching Arkle run, the great Arkle, probably the greatest horse of all time, um, when I was only four, for instance. Um, we used to go to uh, Chepstow races uh, at Wing Canton in particular, uh, Newton Abbott, actually, if I remember, Newton Abbott and Devon Exeter were dad's favourites. Um, and uh, I was very fortunate at the age of eight to watch one of the greatest horses of all time called Persian War uh, run in the Welsh champion hurdle. And... Um, that started a uh, a deep uh, association with horse racing. And I say, unlike my father, uh, I would say I was a purist, if you were to describe me, you know. Uh, don't get me wrong, I have had my share of gambling successes. Uh, and also, um, uh, one of, you know, some of the low points of my life. You know, one day, I've, I write about this in my book, where I, I put £50 to win on a horse called... Um, the L that got beaten by a horse called Sun Princess by a short head, and I lost 50 quid when that was basically my week's earnings. Uh, and that taught me a big lesson. But, um, you know, I've been really interested in the sport. So, you know, I can. So, for instance, you know, this, you, know, you might think this sounds really sad, but uh, I watched the 1937 and the 1961 Grand Nationals yesterday. Wow. Uh, and I And I actually know half the horses in the field even though you know i could talk to you about the derby winners in 1920 or 30 or 40 i know who the trainer the jockey the owner is you know um so i really be interested so um probably without a doubt my favorite horse of all time is a horse called sea pigeon um who um came fourth second second first first in the champion hurdle uh and was also probably the greatest uh dual what I call a dual code horse in history. That means uh, the best horse to run on the flat and over jumps. Yeah. Uh, so Sea Pigeon also, he came seventh in the Derby when he was three and uh, went on to become one of the top staying flat horses in the country with some notable successes. And um, John Joe O'Neill, who I'm interviewing tomorrow, uh, was Sea Pigeon's normal rider. And also um, rode him several times on the flat, even though John Joe isn't a flat jockey, um, including uh, when Sea Pigeon uh, won the Tote Ebor handicap with the highest weight ever carried by a horse in history. Uh, but he dropped, he, he actually stopped riding with 100 yards to go and um, won by a, a very short head. And when I first met John, I said to him, God, I nearly killed you that day. Because uh, obviously I was in love with that horse and... Uh, you know, John Joe, John Joe thought the race was won. And uh, it's, it's actually quite, if you listen to the, the whole thing, it was quite dramatic. So um, to have the opportunity to meet the O'Neills and become as friendly with them as I have, and so useful to them, actually, I would say, uh, incredibly useful to them, um, is just like, it's just totally surreal. So um, 
I, it was funny when I when I first met when I first met John Joe, um, he's actually quite a shy man, and I I think he sort of didn't really know who I was, and I got in his station wagon because he drove me up and down the gallops, and I watched the horses running up and down, uh, and for the first thirty seconds he didn't say a word, and then I I thought right, so I told him pretty much everything I knew about sea pigeon, just looked at me and he said, you know more about that horse than I do. <laughs> And then from that moment on, I think it was like, so they they, they all have a laugh now because they all think I know more about horse racing than they do, uh, which is which is probably true, actually. Um, so, uh, you know, I've got this 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 really wonderful uh, reality of the guy that rode my favorite horse is now someone that I have a, a tremendous amount to do with. You know, I'm able to make a substantial difference to their lives, I would say. And um and so tomorrow I'm getting to interview him. So, um, you know, it's a bit of a, well, as I say, it's a bit like a, a dream come true, surreal, crazy sort of feeling, you know. Yeah, good. really looking forward to it. And you can tune in and watch that at 12.30 tomorrow on our Facebook and YouTube channel. And of course, it will be on uh, tomorrow's podcast if you are listening uh, on the podcast. It's going to be a fascinating uh, watch and listen. Can't wait for that uh, tomorrow. Yeah. I'm definitely going to be tuning into that because um, last week's show with um, Alistair Hargreaves was was absolutely brilliant. So, um, yeah, you've you've definitely got a fan in me. Well, you can still listen to that on the podcast and watch that. You just need to go to our YouTube channel, scroll down. All the shows are there. I've just checked as well. All the shows are there from this week. Podcasts, they're all there. You can just go back and listen to them. So please do if you've... Uh, missed anything no it's a busy world then no we know there's a lot of content out there but the beauty of the modern digital world is you can listen to it whenever you want and go back and listen and watch to your heart's content before i ask paul about his uh song today i want to just um mention because we've got the interview tomorrow uh a very a really successful um week for aspen weight some some brilliant stories paul (laughs) <laughs> you, you're very good at doing that aren't you i know i, I love, love the way it. you just you talk and then you stop you know it's like you know the trains left the station and then before it gets to the next <laughs> one it stops and the conductor says to the driver hey why have you stopped uh <laughs> but we've, we've got a few yeah, things so, you want to mention well yeah we, yes i think <laughs> sorry um you can see this is live because uh Mr. Chocolate Voice Man has stitched me up as as normal. His, his, his normal joke is uh, he likes to he likes to pretend that when I'm singing, which is quite often, that he's taped it and it's about to be recorded, uh, played on, in, on on live. You know, which I don't give a <laughs> stuff. About. I don't I don't give a stuff about anyway. Um, I think um, you know, so t- trying to make some sense about what Ben's just said. I think. Um, probably one of the things I would say, you know, in terms of. Um, uh, a tip and sort of talking about the sort of week we've had and not just the week i think um this presupposing you have a degree of talent which is obviously you know incredibly important so like you know if john joe couldn't ride a horse uh he wouldn't have got to road, ride sea pigeon and then you know one of the things that um i'm going to talk to him about is uh the the year before the year that sea pigeon actually won the champion hurdle for the first time John Joe was injured and the horse was ridden by a jockey called Fran Berry, who, uh, if I saw him now, I probably would murder him and, and throw him into a vat of sulfuric acid. Uh, that's how resentful I am of the crap ride he gave him. Um, so basically, you know, Sea Pigeon came to win the race, cantering all over Monksfield. Uh, and, and basically, Fran Perry rode the worst race you could possibly ride, you know. So my analogy is, is that... Um, to some extent, you know, the fact that John Joe is now um, someone who's won the champion hurdle, uh, the champion hurdle and gold cup as a jockey, and then also uh, won the the gold cup and the grand national as a trainer um, is, 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 a, is, a, is, a, is a reflection on his immense talent. Uh, but also, I think you, you need more than just talent, you know, um, in his case as well, which, you know, he and I would be very similar in this respect. Um, talent matched with uh, a will to succeed, a, a, a never give up attitude, and a tremendous energy and hard work is an irresistible combination. And I think, um, and also I think to some extent, uh, what 
what happens is also a reflection on what your competition are doing. And I think, you know, one of the things which has been, not that I really care too much about uh, any competition we have, but, um, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be any evidence really of, of, of accountants generally being visible at the moment. You know, which no, is it's not. Yeah, I, I, I literally just before coming on this um, broadcast, I was on the phone to a client uh, that we did an, an R and a very small R and D claim for. Uh, they're they're a very small client, and I was saying to them, "Where's your Where's your 2019 accounts so that we can get a the R and D claim in for that?" And he said, "Oh, my accountant's really just not providing them." And this is a company with an August year end, and so. Um, I had a chat with him and he said, this is my third accountants that I'm with and I just can't find any accountants that are interested in giving me real business advice to, who really care about my business and where I'm going. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, you're quite right there, Paul. It's, it, it does seem that a lot of firms of accountants are just, you know, not offering any sort of proactive help for their clients. Anyway, that's one of my small victories is this guy's <laughs> coming over to us because he wants he wants a company that actually is going to, you know, take an interest in his business and see see how he can structure his account to, to actually start doing a lot better. Yeah, so I think, you know, with, with, with us, as you know, our, our whole approach is based on know your client. And I think because um, not just me, but if you look at, the whole team and Aspen Weight, you know, we are on the whole very personable people, you know, real people, people uh, with with lots of good experience, a lot of empathy. And I think, you know, what's happened, you know, the, the O'Neills would be a very, very good uh, example of this is, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to be introduced to them. And then I've grasped that with 100 percent. You know, I've not been shy uh, I've told them how honoured and proud I am to their faces of of acting for them. And then really through achievement and being prepared to do things for them for free, which I've done several times, um, I think now they, 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 they trust me as much as they could trust anybody. You know, so it just becomes a natural, a natural progression to say, you know, would you get, would you join this call with me on that thing? Would you join a call with me on that? Can I ask you to do this? You know? So anyway, so, um, I've just said to Ben before, um, we started today. So, uh, just wanted to report on, on progress really. And, um, just to let listeners have some sort of idea of, of, of the sort of difference we do make to the business community. So up until this morning, uh, which is the 23rd of April, in April, we've actually uh, successfully uh, had 51 R&D claims paid out, uh, which are worth just under £1.6 million. So um, uh, I'm expecting uh, I'm expecting us to continue doing about £2.5 million plus a month for the foreseeable future. So, you know, that's, you know, when you consider... You know, when you consider that we are, you know, a relatively small fish in the scheme of things, you know, officially the 96th biggest firm, albeit probably about 80 now, um, you know, that's 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 quite a big achievement to uh, to bring in, you know, two million pounds extra into the SME economy. Yeah, it's excellent. Um, and that's exactly why I wanted to uh, to, to mention it. Um, looking on the bright side of of some of the things that are going oh, on. Oh, very good. What a link. What a link. And, uh, oh, you know, the bright sunshine. So let's move on to Paul's track of the day with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to give uh, <laughs> Mr. Eltham any credit for his his astute link, link ship there, which is very – one might almost start to hope that he had a brain, which would be rather nice to see. That um, could make for some very interesting podcasts in the future. Thanks, Paul. Ha, ha. That's right. <laughs> So anyway, on our, on, our, on, our, on our little voyage along from A to Z, we have now reached K. So um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a few good bands in K, actually, um, uh, and, and, and some cheesy ones like Kansas, Carry On Our Wayward Son, uh, Kasabian uh, and Cooler Shaker bands I really like. But um, I decided, because uh, he's been a really great chap recently, uh, well, just recently, just... Um, one of my closest chums is David Shears, who lives in Pembroke. Um, 
and um, he's he's probably as sad as I am in terms of his love of R and D and innovation, uh, and his his favourite band are the Killers. So um, I'm I'm going to dedicate Mr. Brightside by the Killers to David. I think uh, the Killers uh, Brandon Flowers is an incredibly flamboyant and brilliant lead singer of this band. Um, and I think, uh, I don't know, I think that again, video's fantastic, idiosyncratic. And Lisa says, Lisa says, and her, your favorite band? No. Oh, apparently Lisa says they're her favorite band. So um, we all make that clear. So uh, David Shearer's um, uh, favorite band and Lisa Waite's favorite hoovering band. So there we are. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure everyone will be very happy to know that. Um, so I think, again, I say the videos are, are terrific. Um, and I think their songs are just sort of fun, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. They're an excellent band to have playing when you're playing, when you're playing darts, though. Fantastic. <laughs> Focus. Well, I, I, I would have said they were a great Christmas party band. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, just so anyway. So uh, today's song is uh, Mr. Brightside. Great link by Ben Elton there. Always look on the bright side of life. But it's not that because it's the killers. That's it, and uh, yeah. So that, that the wonderful band, great set they did at Glastonbury uh, last year as well, which um, I, I still watch from time to time and put it on. If you're listening on the podcast, the the killers and Mr. Brightside is coming up. Um, and if you're watching on the live stream, just go away and listen to it. Just put put it on yeah, whatever you do. Go doing. away. Or just go away. Well, we're all going yeah. away right now. Um, my <laughs> thanks to Jono. Jono, thank you for coming on today. We look forward to seeing you again next Thursday. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. My I thanks, love, love uh, coming on these meetings. No problem. Um, my thanks, as always, uh, to Paul. And we will see you tomorrow for your uh, your interview, which is which is um, going to be a must-watch. So exciting. Um, ben, just for listeners out there, how do they? Um, how can they get an alert to uh, to auto, like my phone on a Friday just tunes me into the interview? Yeah, so it, it was. I don't know how it's happened. I think I might have subscribed to the YouTube channel or something. God, people are going to think that we pre-rehearsed that link there, so you could uh, you know set me up for this. So yeah, if you if you want to, and we love you to please go onto our YouTube channel. All you need to do is click the subscribe button that's in the top right-hand corner. And then next to it, there's a bell. If you click the bell as well, what it will do is it say you're not only subscribed, but you'll get notified as soon as we go live. So you'll get notified every day that we're going uh, live. And you will never miss a thing. So do subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, it will come up on your favorites and do hit the bell uh, to get notified. And I promise you that wasn't pre-planned. Jono was asking me a question and I've, I've just, just answered I've just realised my phone's been broadcasting this to me um, whilst I've been on the meeting. I just haven't looked at my phone. Yeah, so, there so, we are. so that's why, um, to, to answer your question, that we were getting a little bit of feedback at certain points. I wondered why. It was because Jono had his, um, Jono had his phone. Oh, sorry on. about that, guys. I didn't realise. Okay. That, that, Egypt. That's enough. I'm a technophobe. That's enough for today. Thank you very much to Jono and uh, Paul. Thank you <laughs> Uh, to you for watching today we look forward to your company again tomorrow uh, i'm about to go away now and find out what my favorite hoovering song is um i hope you do too we'll yeah. see you tomorrow at 12 30 goodbye nice Cheers, guys.